Well, what a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for the friendship and invitation and mutual encouragement that we bring as brothers in Christ. It's a wonderful joy to be here at Community Church of East Gloucester. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll open up God's Word together. Father, we thank you that we can sing hallelujah. We can praise your name. That we have the freedom to come to your house of worship, to sing songs of how great you are, your vast love for us as your people, your daughters and sons. That you call us by name, that you know our names, that you know as scripture says, every hair on our head. That you know everything because you formed us. You created us. And we have this privilege, God, to worship in community as brothers and sisters in Christ who have received the same forgiveness, the same blood shed on the cross, the same immense love that you first loved us with. So that's why we're here in community to worship as a family of God. So Lord, as you open up our eyes to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, May you receive all the glory, honor, and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that some of you have Super Bowl withdrawal. You didn't get to cheer your favorite team. And I've been a pastor and a Christian long enough to know that whichever city I go to, I adopt the team of that city. <laughs> so when I grew up in Chicago, I obviously rooted for the Chicago Bears, and there's only been one moment of glory for them, and it's been, it's been a long time. And I pastored a church in Denver, Colorado, and so I became a, quickly a Denver Broncos fan. And wherever, wherever you go, whichever city you go to, you become a fan of the local teams. And so obviously I've been here about eight years. This is my second time of living in this area, so the Patriots obviously have a uh, growing uh, feeling in my heart to, to root for them. So I know some of you have withdrawal, so what I want to have you do is stand with me, and we're going to do a little cheer together, and I want you, uh, if you're able to stand, please stand with me, and I want you to do a cheer with me, and I want you to pretend that you, are, you were at the Super Bowl, and, and let's just imagine that your favorite team, the Patriots, was there. <laughs> and I want you to do your best cheer. Okay? I, I want you to really get into this. I, I don't want to completely embarrass myself alone. I, I, want, I want you to really get into this, and we're going to do a cheer together. Really get enthusiastic. Pre pretend like no one's watching you. <laughs> and I want you to do this cheer with me. Okay, let's start. I'm going to say a letter. Repeat after me. Give me an F. Give me an R. R. Give me an E. e. Give me an e. e. Give me a D. E. Give me an o. o. Give me an M. M. 
What's that spell? What's that spell? What's that spell? Thank you so much. That was the best cheer I've heard in a long time. You can have a seat. Well, if you were not awake after the praise time, you are hopefully awake now. And freedom is what we're talking about today. Freedom, freedom, freedom. When you hear that word freedom, how do you feel? What does that make you think of? Did you know that you are free? You were free, you are free, and you will be free. But what does that freedom look like? What is freedom? Why am I free? You were free to get up this morning, and you had an option. I can make myself look presentable, and... I have the other choice of eating breakfast. Those two often don't happen in the same morning. (laughs) I can either brush my teeth, I can comb my hair, I can wash myself, or I can eat. The question is, which is more valuable to you? When you have five minutes, you don't have much time, you have the choice. You are free to make a choice. What's more important to me? Do I want to have clean breath or a full stomach? I have a choice. I'm free. And as we live the Christian life, we're going to look in Galatians chapter 5, and Paul talks about freedom. But the freedom he's talking about is not about our own cleanliness or our stomachs being full. He's talking about freedom in Christian community and what that looks like. Now, I know I've been asked to talk about this big elephant in the room conversation topic called race. And we're going to get there a little later. But what God has asked me to do in selecting a passage, and that's the first step of sermon preparation, is always to be able to choose the right text for your sermon. And there are many passages in Scripture that talk about ethnicity and race. But I think this general passage, more general passage about freedom, leads us into the conversation that we're, going to, we're about to have in a moment. But let's look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15, and I know that's a lot to take on, but I'd like for us to consider some of the elements that Paul is talking about as he talks about division in the church. And if you know Galatians and the letter that was written, Galatians is about a false gospel, a false teaching that had been spreading in the region of Galatia. And in particular, as you looked at non-denominationalism last week and theological differences, this week what we're trying to look at is what was the problem, what was the tension point between Paul and Peter? Two giants of the faith. What was their theological difference? And that's what we're going to be looking at here in a moment. So turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 1 through 15. The bulk of the teaching will be on the first part and the latter part. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then 
and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man or woman who lets themselves be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works itself through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Christ has set us free. That statement alone is good enough for me to just walk out the door. I'm done. My sermon's over. Christ has set us free. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ has set you free? And if you don't believe that, or you have a hard time believing it, or right now life is not going the way you had hoped, and so maybe that truth hasn't sunk in for a while. But Christ has set you free. What has he set you free to do? In this context of Galatians 5, there's a theological struggle about the insiders and the outsiders. Who's considered the insider? Who's considered the outsider? And the Jews who were of Hebrew ancestry and the, Jews, uh, the, the, the believers in Christ who were of Gentile origin had a conflict about a theological issue and I'm not going to spend a whole a lot of time on this issue of circumcision, but you and uh, those of you who are uh, studier, studiers and, and learners of the Bible, students of the Bible, you, you know that concept and you know what that gets into. But as we think about what it is that makes us insiders or outsiders, we oftentimes debate about certain theological truths. And in this case, it's the issue of circumcision. But what does he say about it in verse 1? He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This theological division had caused so much tension and problems in the church that Paul is using the imagery of a yoke. And I don't know if you've ever watched uh, 
the History Channel or the various shows on agriculture, we don't see too many yoke around here. The animal, the ox or the cow, whatever it is, had a yoke on around the neck and the yoke forced the animal to go in a certain direction. And they were expected to plow the field in the manner in which the yoke was set. Any deviation from the yoke meant that they would go off course. And so that's the imagery he's saying. You have this heavy, heavy burden and weight on your shoulders. You are carrying around this problem, this theological issue around your necks, and it's forcing you to be a slave to this particular issue. And Paul's saying, no. Don't you remember? I told you in Galatians 1, there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. All the other teachings that you've been receiving, especially about this issue of of circumcision, they are not of the essence of the gospel. And so what is the gospel? He tells us that there is no other gospel. There's only one. And what is that gospel? That Jesus came to be our Savior, to live a perfect life, to die sacrificially, to be buried to be resurrected from the tomb, to ascend to heaven and one day come back. That is, in essence, the gospel. Every other teaching, he says, is not the gospel. And for that reason, he says, Christ has set us free. Free to do what? Not to be a slave to theological issues. Not to be enslaved to the things of this world. But he says, Christ has set us free. The question in today for all of us is, do we know that freedom? Do we know what it means to be free? In sophomore year of high school, our school in, in, in the Chicago suburbs always had something called turnabout dance. And turnabout dance is, the, the old uh, terminology was the Sadie Hawkins dance. And this is where the, the lady asked the guy to come to be their uh, date for the night. And freshman year, nobody asked me. I know you're thinking, man, you're so cool. How can nobody ask you? But yeah, nobody asked me freshman year. Sophomore year, Natalie asked me. Natalie said, hey, Matt, you want to be my date for turnabout dance? And I wanted to say yes so badly. And I did. But there was a big problem. Big, big problem. I was always a nerd, and I didn't know how to dance. Will you go to the dance? Yes. Big problem. I don't know how to dance. So what do I do? I tell my mom. Mom, Natalie's asked me to go to this dance. This is what people do. Um, <laughs> Can, can you help me? So she says, yes, I know exactly what to do. So she calls my cousin Jenny and her husband Jim. They are really good dancers. And so mom says, you know, they're going to come over. They're going to teach you how to dance. And I thought, okay, yeah, I, I think I've seen them dance. They're pretty good. So they, I hear the doorbell ring. My mom answers the door. Matt, your cousin's here. Uh, they come up to my room, and so they say, you don't know how to dance? No, I don't know how to dance. Let's turn off the lights. They turn off the lights. 
And they say, imagine no one's watching you. Imagine no one's watching you. And just imagine that we're not even watching you. Show us your best moves. Show us your best moves. My heart sinks because I don't know how to dance. I hate dancing. And I don't even know anything about dancing. I've only seen commercials. <laughs> I know I've seen some dancing on commercials. And so I start doing some moves, right? I don't know. Okay, this is about, well, I don't even know how many years ago. 20, 25 plus years ago, much longer than that, 27 years or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to do some moves, right? So I, I've, seen, I've seen some sprinkler heads. You know, I, I've seen some different moves like this. and uh, I've, I'm trying to do my best, and I'm trying to show them that I can dance, whatever little I can do, but they, they just turn back on the light, and they say, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how you dance. And so for a couple of hours, they gave me dance lessons. And this is what they said. In order to dance, you have to be free. You can't worry about what other people are thinking of you. You just got to do it. Who cares if you're an embarrassment? Do it. Whatever moves make you comfortable, do it. You are free. And once you are free, you can just let loose. That dance, I, I, I took their advice. I made a fool of myself. It was the most freeing moment I've ever had in my life to not have to be that perfect oldest son that I could just dance and be free. I want you to try something today with me. You're going to think, Pastor Tim, why'd you invite this guy who keeps making us do stuff? Uh, <laughs> if you'll stand with me again, I want you to try something. I want you to close your eyes and I promise you, I am not looking. <laughs> Let's dance together in one body, as one body in Christ. We're dancing. Go! What are you going to do? You're going to show us your moves. You're going you're to do something. You're going to dance. You're going to be free. Don't look around. Don't look, no one's looking. All right. You, thank you. You can have a seat. Now, does that same level of freedom happen if you know that people are watching you? Let's imagine that I'm just fixated on Jess and I just want him to dance for me. No, you're not going to be able to do that. You're completely embarrassed or flustered and don't want to show your moves because someone's intently focused on what you're doing. But when you know that no one's watching, there's freedom. Dear church, Christ has set you free. Christ has taken off the shackles. He's taken off the yoke around your neck. And he just wants you to live freely for him. The only audience that we have in this world is God. And when I can cognitively and in my heart know that I'm only living for an audience of one and I'm dancing my life for the audience of one, I can do some crazy things, some radical things, some unencumbered things, some unshackled things because I want my life to count for God. I want Christ's love and his freedom to flow through me. 
that I'm not shackled by what do other people think or how am I going to make it financially or if I give my time to this, what about that activity that I need to get to? I'm free. I am completely free. And that's what Christ's message for us in verse 1 is all about. You are free in Christ. You're no longer shackled by this yoke of slavery. But not only that, he tells us that Christ has set us free, but there's an obstacle in our way, and that is legalism. And I I don't want to have to get into all the details here uh, about circumcision, but there was a theological problem And this one issue was causing such great division. And so what we see here, Paul telling us uh, to do and the Galatians to do is to not be bound by legalism. And there's a difference between the law and legalism. The law is standards by which the society must meet certain duties and obligations so that the entire society will work properly. Legalism is taking that law and enforcing it where it should not be enforced. And so we see here, he says, I tell you that you cannot let yourselves be circumcised because apart from Christ, it has no value. And then he says, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Legalism is a problem. It was a problem in the Jewish context. It's a problem today. Obeying the law is a good thing. Everyone should obey the law, correct? Right? I, I, I believe that uh, 40% of you agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I hope 100% agree with that. Everyone should obey the law. The law is good, right? It's for our safety a lot of times. It's for our protection. It's for civil societies to be able to work together and do good for, uh, for others. And there are moments in our lives where we want to break the law. It happens regularly in my soul. And there is a stretch on 128 South from exit 22, where I live, to exit 23, where Home Depot is. <laughs> and from exit 22 to exit 23, there's a stretch of about 230 feet where many, many people drive. If there's a traffic backed up, they will drive on the shoulder from exit 22 to 23 and zip through and get off on exit 23. Happens all the time. And so, on one Friday afternoon that was drizzly, I look over and there, was car, there were cars backed up and it was a moment of law or break the law. And I said, today I'm going to break the law. So I went from 22 to 23. I did not yield and merge, I went straight through. And why is it that particular day? I did not see the cop car (laughs) who was there in that line as I went through 
I looked over at my wife, and she was, do it, let's go. (laughs) And inside, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to rebel today. Today's rebellion day. And I hear the, 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 the siren. I see the cop car pull me over. And then I have another dilemma. Do I fake a contact problem? That something was in my eye and I needed to get through? You see how wicked my heart is? So the cop pulls me over, opens, you know, I open the window. Yes, sir. What are you doing? Did you stop because you saw me? Yes. (laughs) Did you know that you're not allowed to go from 22 to 23 on this little stretch? Yes. (laughs) Then he looks inside my car and and he goes, you got kids in the car? All three of my kids were in the car. (laughs) Officer, this is my first offense in Massachusetts. I've been living here for about eight years. You know, this is my first offense. Would you please? No, 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 no. Came back 20 minutes later, gives me the ticket. You're paying this fine. It's a snapshot of our lives. Law, legalism. What's the problem here? Paul's not talking about following the law. He's talking about following the law in place of following Christ. There's a fundamental difference between following the law for the sake of obeying the law and following Christ. And there are 613 Old Testament laws. I'm sure you've heard that at some point in your Christian walk. And the Pharisees knew them all. I can't even remember the grocery list but they have 613 laws that they memorized and obeyed. And for some reason, this pocket of Jewish believers, they were fixated on the tradition and religious obligation of circumcision. So he says in verse 7, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. So first, Paul uses the imagery of running, the race. And he's saying, who cut in on you and made you lose your place and make you lose your focus? And then, I I don't like it when Paul changes changes up the imagery, but then he gets to verse 9, he starts talking about baking. And then he says in verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And that particular verse has always perplexed me. What does he really mean by that? I understand the running imagery. Someone cuts you off, you lose your place. But the, the yeast portion, I don't know if you bake or not. My wife's a baker. I don't know how to bake, but I, I've watched her. And if you bake, a little yeast will change the what? Whole composition of the bread. And in Jewish culture, what they ate was what? Unleavened bread unyeasted bread. There's no yeast in that bread. That's why it's flat. And that's what they ate. That was their tradition. And when you bring in, when you introduce a little bit of yeast into the mix, what happens? It changes the entire bread. And what he's saying is, you've introduced this concept, theological disagreement of 
circumcision, and it's gotten you completely off course. You have changed the composition of the bread so that you're focused on the bread and you're not focused on what matters most, which is freedom in Christ. Dear church, what's, concern, what's consuming you and concerning you today? What's making you go off course? Verse 13. Not only are we set free in Christ, and not only are we set free, but legalism gets in the way. The positive spin on this and the positive good news from this passage is that Christ has set us free to love each other. And in verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And here, I want to take my own freedom to talk about one particular life issue that I think many of us struggle with. And that is why I've been brought in, and that is the topic of race. And race is a social construct. It's not in Scripture. The Bible talks about ethnicity. It doesn't talk about race. And in fact, race was a social construct developed when uh, they had to do censuses. And when the early people, the early settlers of this country decided that we needed to differentiate between people, that's when race originated from. And at that point, there was only um, whites, and they were um, natives, First, uh, First Nation people, and then in some cases there were blacks. And as migration happened and immigration happened, they created greater, greater categories of race. But here, as we think about what is the implication of the gospel that I have been set free, I'd like to encourage us to think about this as we think about how we use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And if we take that portion and think of it primarily in terms of race today, and that's what I've been asked to talk about, my question to us is, how do we deal with this whole issue? Now, I want to begin freely and use my freedom again in Christ to freely admit that I am a racist. I said it. I am a racist. In my worst moments, I am a racist. Horrible things enter my mind sometimes. In my work worst moments, when in my weakest moments, when I'm most susceptible to sin, I have succumbed to sin and thought racist thoughts. I've said racist things. I am a racist. That is the baseline conversation I think that we need to be able to have today. That script, scripture teaches us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And in this area of race, we have one of two responses. We can say, I'm not a racist. I've never done racist things. I've never said racist comments. I've, I never think anything poorly about someone else. Or we can all have the common denominator and say, I am free in Christ to be able to admit that I am a racist. In my worst moments, usually not in my best moments, but when sin is reigning or Satan is tempting 
I'm a racist. The question is, can you say that today? And, and mean it and believe it? Or do you think, nope, racism is not part of my life? The reason why this is so important because, is because of verse 15. He's already told us, love your neighbor as yourself. But then notice he's, he keeps this imagery up of, of what it means to be in, in theological or religious or even, in our case, racial tension. He says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other. So this problem is not going away. They keep biting each other and devouring each other. It's not going away on its own. And today, obviously, I can't solve the race problem. I wish I could. But what's going on today in your souls as you think about race? My family uh, moved here about eight years ago uh, to, to come back to teach at Gordon Conlon. As I said, I was a pastor in Denver, Colorado. And even in Denver, of course, I had my own struggles with race. And I remember one time I was parked, uh, not parked, I was at the stoplight, and this, this guy from a, a different racial ethnic background started walking toward my car. And it was a red light, I was stopped at the red light. And as he did so, he walked toward me, and I don't know why, this was another bad moment for me, I locked my car door. Now, I don't know why I was so ignorant to think, he's not going to hear that. But he heard that. And he walked toward my car and he looked, in me, looked at me in the mirror, uh, in the, in through, the, through, through the glass and he said, are you serious, man? Are you serious? I, that face haunts me. It haunts me today. When I see that guy's face, I can see his face right now. Are you serious, man? Four years ago, a little over four years ago, um, the long story, my younger brother who was um, working in the Philippines, um, he, was, he was a marketing uh, person. He was brutally murdered by Filipinos. And we don't, to this day, know what, exactly what happened. And this is a long story, and uh, we never got closure because uh, a month after the case, we, we filed a case a month later, due to all the corruption and people being paid under the table, the case was closed right away. And again, I want to share my, my own problem with sin. I don't know if there are any Filipinos in this room, but ever since that moment, whenever I see a Filipino person or hear about the Philippines or I hear about Manila, my heart just shuts down. I can't look at the person. It, it's really, really painful. And that's not even a racial issue. You see where I'm going. This is an inter-ethnic problem now. Whenever there's difference, there's pain. You may have people in your life who have caused you much pain from a different racial ethnic group, and your natural response is to say, I don't want anything to do with that person. They're all like that. So I confess to you my own sin, my own pain, how hard it's been for me to love Filipino people. And God's working on my heart daily. 
I'm, I'm working with Filipinos. How do I love them, God? How do I love them when they took my brother? But notice it says here, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Dear church, these are real things, real issues. The racism that I experience probably on a weekly basis living in Beverly is painful. When my kids are looked at like their exhibits at the zoo, it's real. But again, like I shared, it's not a white person's problem. It's a human race problem. We're all racists. So what do we do about it? It says that the only thing, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Step by step, person by person, church by church, community group by community group. We can make a difference. Do you believe that? Why? Christ has set us free to love each other. In the Q&A time, I hope that we'll be able to get into some of these ways to do that. But let me just encourage you to do one thing today, right now, while I have everyone's attention. In order to overcome our problem with race, you need to know someone who is different from you. So here's God's application for you today. God wants you to find a new friend who is not, does not look like you, who does not think like you, who does not have the same background as you, who is not of the same skin color as you. God wants you to get to know that person and for the rest, rest of your life, get to know that person. Get to know their people group. Get to know what kinds of things have made them sad and glad. Hear their stories of pain. Cry with them. Laugh with them. Eat with them. Have fun together. Do things together. Find one person of a different racial, ethnic background and go for it. Be free to love each other. And when you do that, I think slowly God will enable you to be healed. God will take that pain and he'll, he'll help you to love that person who you never thought you could possibly love. That application is doable, I believe. Just find one person. Now the tension point is, is that who is that person going to be? Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Pastor Tim and I were debating whether or not I should tell this story, and he encouraged me to tell this story. Um, Our family attended this church for about six months. It was the second or third year that we were here. We live in Beverly, so it's it's quite a distance, 20, 20, 30 minutes, and when it was snowing, it was really rough to get here. Um, You may remember or you may not remember, you probably don't, and there's always turnover in churches. And Pastor Tim encouraged me to share this one example of a story, a moment that happened right in the sanctuary. And um, older gentleman, during a Christmas event, uh, leaned into me, and he said something that was quite remarkable. And he said, 
something to the fact, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something to the fact of, um, I guess it's okay that people like you are here. And I didn't know how to take that. You know, I, you, know you could take that in many different ways. If you're, if you're an ethnic minority, you usually take it as, you're talking about my ethnicity and skin color. And again, I don't share this because uh, our family left because of that issue. It's not at all. Our main reason for leaving was we felt God was really calling us to be at a church in Beverly. And that was really the, the number one reason why we decided as a family to leave the congregation. But what I'm trying to communicate is that it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And maybe it's even here today. The question is, what can we do together? I believe that God has called us to be reconciled. That we can be set free in Christ to love one another. Will you make it happen? One person at a time? God's inviting you into a new kind of life. A life where you're dancing away and nobody's watching. Will you dance with Jesus? Will you dance with another person? Will you be free? Christ has set us free to love each other. I sincerely say this with all my heart, is that as I go to different churches to preach, I pray, pray, pray. I pray really hard for that church. And whatever God's message is for that church, I just say, Lord, use it. You want to speak to your people today. How do you need to be free to love other people in Christ? Christ has set us free to love each other. Let's pray together. Dear God, as I've confessed, I really struggle with this. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm still struggling with it now, Lord, as I look at people who have taken my brother from me. It's real. It's painful. It's raw. Lord, I know you want to do a good work here at Community Church. You, you want us to grow in the likeness of Christ. And if there are people or cultures or ethnicities or races of people that we don't like or feel uncomfortable around or hate or fear, will you do a good work in us to transform us? Help us to look more like Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would minister to each one here. Help us to break down our walls. Give us hearts of flesh to be able to receive the fact that sometimes in my worst moments, I am a racist. I am someone who hates or belittles or shows bigotry and prejudice. But not to just leave us there. You call us to a ministry of reconciliation. So Father, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here in this room that you would help us to be free to forgive, to love, to find someone new to encourage, to hear their stories, to say I'm sorry, to say, I'm, to say forgive me. And as we do this, 
we know that you're going to heal us, you're going to strengthen us, and you're going to make this church more like Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you'll start with me. Start the good work in me. And I pray that you would, person by person here in this room, do your remarkable work of making us people who love each other deeply. For it's in the name of Christ and for his glory that we do all these things and say these things. In Jesus' name, amen.